0: hi everyone judge andrew napolitano here for judging freedom today is tuesday september 20th 2022 it's about 1 in the afternoon here on the east coast of the united states my guest today needs no introduction to the judging freedom office we have left him alone for two weeks he's been on vacation in a very beautiful part uh, of the united states And if you watch and listen to mainstream media, you'd think that everything in Ukraine is the reverse of what it was before Colonel Douglas and Mrs. McGregor went on vacation. But of course, we'll let him explain to you what has happened, what has truthfully happened, what we've been led to believe has happened, uh, and how we need to analyze this. Colonel McGregor, always a pleasure. Sir, welcome back to Judging Freedom. About uh, three weeks ago, when you were last on with us, uh, which of course had a huge audience, as you always draw, you uh, made a very interesting comment that the war for Ukraine is lost. Take a listen uh, about
1: what you said to
0: me and to our audience at that time.
1: Ukrainians have probably lost 60, 70,000 killed, over 100,000 casualties easily. They've got nothing left. And the pipeline, which was never very good in terms of delivering equipment and ammunition, has has dwindled. It's almost turned off. And you add the corruption into this business with so much of the equipment disappearing onto black markets and being resold. The war is effectively lost.
0: Now, I don't know if you saw the newspapers or watched television or went to your your, uh, computer while you were away. But if you did, you would know that mainstream media and the United States government and its collaborators in Western Europe have claimed that there's been a reversal, that the Ukrainians have recaptured 2,000 square miles of land and the Russian military is on its heels.
1: What do you say, Colonel? You know, Winston Churchill once said that uh, he'd had to eat his words on more than one occasion and they were always a satisfying and sufficient meal. (laughs) So (laughs) I I tend to go with uh, Churchill on this. I would point out a number of things. Uh, First of all, this particular counteroffensive went into an area where the Russians had no more than 2,000 light troops, effectively the equivalent of what most Americans would recognize as special weapon assault teams and the police, and some airborne troops. And uh, that was it. They virtually evacuated everybody else. They did have some equipment waiting to be evacuated, but the Russian army, per se, had moved elsewhere, frankly, down into Kherson and that region and also into the Donbass to complete operations there. Undoubtedly, our satellite-based surveillance informed the Ukrainians that this was an opportunity. So the Ukrainians gathered together new troops, new forces, that consisted for the most part of untrained reservists, a few veterans, about 40 uh, tanks in the lead with perhaps another 40 or 50 armored fighting vehicles. Behind that, the mass of the force in trucks, uh, many of which you would, you would recognize as technicals. These are commercial trucks fitted with military weapons. And they punched through this line and then drove uh, perhaps 50, 60 miles all the way to this town of Izium on the river, uh, which is just short of the Russian border. Now, as they drove, they took horrendous artillery, rocket artillery, conventional artillery, and airstrikes. The 2,000 sustained perhaps a handful of casualties and got out largely untouched. And uh, the sacrifice made for this very modest gain, depending upon which source you go to, is anywhere between 5,000 and 10,000 killed or wounded. All right, you call the gain uh,
0: modest. Yes. Is the territory that um, uh, President Zelensky claims was recaptured worth the cost of recapturing it? No. Is this sort of like sort of like the uh, German Wehrmacht holding on to thousands of square miles of, of Soviet tundra, thinking that somehow it was worth hanging on to in 1942?
1: No, no, it wasn't. Uh, the the bulk of Ukraine's resources, its mineral resources, industrial capacity, even its best agricultural areas, all of that sits under the Russians right now. And when you calculate this this area as compared with the rest of the area under Russian control, it's about 1%. The Russians had already made the decision to do something that we do in war. Uh, we They took risk. It was an economy of force operation man the front, otherwise withdraw your your best forces and mobile reserves, move them elsewhere where they have a much more important uh, task. So they took risk. Uh, The Ukrainians found out about it. It's a a great propaganda victory in the short run, particularly in the run-up to uh, Zelensky's meeting in Texas with the heads of all the defense industries to try and create the illusion that Ukraine isn't finished. Remember that Oh, gosh, I don't know how long, perhaps 90 days, the media had, had gone largely silent about Ukraine. There was very little that came through the media. You and, you, were, you were reporting
0: more about what was happening in Ukraine than mainstream media, which makes millions, even billions doing it, was reporting in that time period.
1: Oh, absolutely. So this, this was a sudden turnaround, and you always know something is up when you you find that the media across the Western world, whether it's in Great Britain or Germany, France, Italy, the United States, Canada, all report exactly the same thing. Well, when they're all probably the getting it from the same, same sources.
0: They're probably getting it from the American and the British intelligence communities.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And that narrative is then disseminated, and everybody knows what the new narrative is. Before the new narrative in. is Ukraine is back. Ukraine can win. But in truth... Right. Even in the uh, Telegraph, which is not exactly uh, fair-minded about these matters, they printed the truth and said that the Ukrainians are taking upwards of 20,000 casualties a month now. Before we don't we know, know exactly. how many they've lost. We have no accurate figures from Ukraine. We don't have any accurate figures, frankly, from the Russians about Ukrainian losses. But we can piece it together. 20,000 casualties a month for an army that's uh, no more than, at this point, perhaps two, three 300,000. That's not sustainable, Judge. Before before we proceed on,
0: I have to ask you about something I thought I heard you say a few minutes ago. Is President Zelensky
1: coming to the United States? Yes, that's the word, that he's going to have this meeting with the defense heads in the United States in Texas. When you say defense heads, you mean
0: senior Pentagon people?
1: or No, CEOs from the defense industries. I mean, I would expect that uh, Lloyd Austin, who's a card-carrying member of the military-industrial-congressional complex, having worked for Raytheon and become a millionaire as a result, will be there to herd the, the, the CEOs into the arms of Zelensky. And he and Zelensky will make the argument that, look, you know, we're not out, we're not finished, we're going to win. We just need more stuff. Uh, okay, okay, but you have told us that the stuff
0: that... the uh Biden administration is sending already exists either in Europe or in the United States and that in fact Raytheon and company are becoming rich not by making things for Zelensky but by replacing what we have sent Zelensky why is he now going to the the industrial complex directly they can't make that stuff overnight and he's going to say he needs it tomorrow.
1: Well, I suspect this is part of the larger strategy to justify sending more money to the Pentagon, which then ends up in the uh, industrial sector and then is uh, transferred, at at least in part, to the Hill. Uh, I'm sure that's part of the scheme. I think it's a it's a major propaganda stunt to try and make the argument that uh, Biden's promise of supporting Ukraine until the bitter end, regardless of what it takes forever and ever. Uh, should be honored by all the defense industries. Defense industries are agnostic; they don't care. They just want to right. make money. Correct, so, correct. So the, the the problem that we have is twofold with sending equipment at this point, our equipment. Number one, we've already sent a lot, and a lot has been lost either through graft and corruption or to the enemy. And secondly, a lot of the equipment they can't maintain. So the Ukrainians are shipping. Uh, pieces of equipment they regard as, as valuable, important, like the self-propelled 155-millimeter guns back to Poland to be repaired by U.S. servicemen who then ship it back into Ukraine. Oh. Uh, this is not the sort of thing that you want to get involved with because you can't fight and win a war if you can't maintain the equipment that you own. Let me and, uh, and then uh, secondly, let me be... just point out one other thing. Olaf Scholz is currently under tremendous attack in Europe, by especially by the strongest supporters of the Ukrainians, because uh, he hasn't shown up with most of the equipment he promised, and he's dragging his feet on the notion that uh, he should ship German tanks uh, over to Ukraine. Initially, he was supposed to send a, an enormous number of anti-aircraft anti, uh, guns, automatic guns called the Gepard, and only a handful have shown up. Now they want him to send leopard tanks, and he's saying, look, I don't, I don't have it to send. My war stocks aren't that large. I will leave Germany defenseless. Well, we are approaching that now. We have pretty much bottomed out on the existing stocks. We're going to have to start dipping in to war stocks, real war stocks would put us at a disadvantage. Let me run what you <laughs>
0: said a few weeks ago about Russia is back. I know you believe that and I want you to address it and supplement it with what happened
1: in the Russian parliament earlier this week. The Russian army is back, and they are crushing the remainder of the Ukrainian defenses in the South in preparation, I think, for a strike to Odessa. And this will make Ukraine a landlocked country. And I think we're going to see something similar in the near future up in Kharkov. The strategy, I think, is very clear. let the ukrainians impale themselves on defenses they cannot breach and that's what's happened down in the south in the Kherson region and the ukrainians lost tens of thousands of people killed and wounded down there the hospitals are bulging i saw video from given to me uh, via the internet from people on the ground in ukraine and poland showing these uh, ambulances great numbers of them in endless convoys trying to save the wounded by moving them to kiev because there was nothing to put them in anymore down near kharkov and, and these other areas those hospitals are, are overflowing so we know that the ukrainians have taken terrible losses down there the russians have taken a position let them continue to counterattack. we can destroy those in uh, you know in perpetuity if we have to but in the meantime the force buildup in uh, the donbass is very real Bakhmut, which was the uh, logistical hub for the Ukrainians, is now being taken. That will choke off anything that might otherwise reach the area. And I think you're going to then see the move towards Odessa. Now, Kharkov doesn't have any important industrial, scientific industrial value. There's no agricultural value to the place. They can wait on that. And there's something else that's coming along now. The Russian Duma passed legislation. That's the parliament. Right. That essentially provides uh, legislation to support a partial mobilization of the country and to do a number of other things, laws that make it, uh, you know, a death penalty or, or life imprisonment if you avoid the draft or you avoid being serving and so forth. The Russian population was incensed by what happened in Kharkov. They they were incensed. They, they Their view was this is unacceptable. Remember, Kharkov was the center of many many major operations during World
0: War II. But I want to talk about I want to talk about the Russian parliament. Does this mean that the Russian Duma, which we parliament which we've always believed is basically controlled by President Putin and the people around him, mm. basically saying
1: to the president, get real, get serious, get this over with. Yes, I think that's the message. And uh, that's that reflects public opinion in Russia. People support President Putin. That's not his problem. He's not being His support is not eroding. That's a lot of nonsense. And Russia's doing reasonably well economically right now. It's not hurting. Our, our sanctions haven't bitten the Russians the way they've bitten the Europeans. So that's not the issue. The issue is, look, this is an insult to Russia. You know, Russian arms should never have given this up. Well, the truth is, strategically, You know, you make those kinds of decisions. And he has limited the numbers of Russian troops that he's willing to use in this operation. At the same time, we have treated this Ukrainian side as though it's limitless in its scope and duration. So the population said, listen, aren't you seeing what's happening? The United States is at war with Russia. They're just using Ukraine. This must end. So I think the, the special military operation, as they call it, has changed. Do the um, are
0: there more American troops out of uniform on the ground than there were at the beginning of the summer? Uh, I suspect there are, but I have no way of knowing. I mean, at some point, the American public needs to know this and and recognize <clears throat> the danger of it. What happens if one or two or five or ten of these guys get killed, or worse yet, captured? I mean, if you and I and the people watching us now know. That American troops are on the ground out of uniform. Certainly President Putin and his intelligence community knows that they're there, who they are and where they are.
1: Am I right? Well, if you've listened to President Putin speak when he's been asked questions of Mr. President, why did you allow this to happen? Mr. President, why have you not done X, Y, and Z? Mr. President, why are there still bridges over the Dnieper River? Why haven't you destroyed all of those and cut off the Ukrainians completely? His answer has been along the lines of, yes, I understand that. Uh, And yes, uh, we can do those things, but we have chosen not to. But if the future continues without any hope in sight of a negotiated settlement, then yes, we will take measures that we think are appropriate. In other words, Putin made a terrible mistake from the beginning. He thought that he could negotiate an end to this. He thought that we would be horrified, the Ukrainians would suffer, And, and suddenly the president would intervene and say, look, enough's enough. Let's arrange peace talks. Let's sort this out. He was wrong. He now knows that he was wrong. And so I think what you're going to see from this point forward is a systematic effort to end this conflict. But it's going to come on his terms. And remember, he's got something else working for him right now, Judge. It's snowing in southern Poland. It's snowing in the northern part of the Czech Republic. Winter. Yes. Winter is winter, winter winter will be the worst
0: winter for Germany since the end of World War II. How bad will it be for Ukrainian troops and what will President Putin do to wrap this up so his own troops don't have to endure winter or can the Russian army tolerate a Ukrainian winter?
1: Oh, sure. The Russians can tolerate it. They, there's no shortage of fuel in Russia. They have all the fuel they need. They can stay warm. But there is no fuel coming into Ukraine that will sustain the Ukrainian operation. What, where's the fuel going to come from? Germany? Poland? No, not they're, Germany. Yeah, they're all rationing. Everybody's rationing. They don't have the fuel for this. The populations are going to suffer, and Putin knows that. There's no reason for him to move suddenly. In other words, to suddenly say, send a million men and let's end this. No, he doesn't have to do that. He can afford to wait. Because remember, the other part of Putin's strategy is, even though people in the West have been told otherwise, he really wants to do business with the West. He doesn't want this open-ended conflict. But he's certainly not going to end it when Winter promises to provide more support for his position than perhaps anything he could do militarily at this stage. Let's go back to a question I always ask you. And I
0: and I hope that it changes. Your answer changes over time, but I suspect it's not. What is Intel telling the Oval Office the truth or what they think the man in the Oval uh, Joe Biden wants to hear?
1: Well, first of all, I I, did, I don't know if you or, or your viewers watched uh, President Biden's interview uh, on television last night, but it was very, very depressing. One cannot watch that and help but come away with the impression that Mr. Biden is not much more than a puppet. So I think Blinken and Klein in the White House and others, some of whose names we know, some of whose names right. we don't.
0: Klein is Ron Klein, who was the president's chief of staff for eight years when he was vice president and has been his chief of staff yeah. for the extent of his now nearly two year presidency.
1: I I think these people are actually in charge of your government, and they are coordinating with the the wealthy, influential oligarchs that, that operate in the West. Mr. Soros is certainly in the forefront of driving the train on this offensive against Russia. He's not alone. He's one of several. All of that comes together in the White House and on the Hill. And I think there are others in charge for whom nobody ever voted. And Americans don't seem to understand that. And this is another problem, Judge. You brought it up at the beginning. What struck me when I was uh, on my vacation was the complete disinterest and lack of interest in what happened in Ukraine. Nobody cared. Now, that's not surprising because most Americans, most of the time, are not interested in what happens beyond the borders of their country. The problem is there are a lot of people in Washington, D.C. that take advantage of that. And that's where we are. Until Americans are having trouble finding food and fuel, until their their sources of income really begin to dry up, I don't think most Americans are going to pay much attention, and that's a problem. How long will it take the uh, newly mobilized
0: Russian state? And I guess they're going to call this a war now rather than a special military operation after the vote in the Duma yesterday. And the vote in the Duma yesterday was nowhere In the american press this morning at least i didn't see it and i probably look as look at as many websites and read as many newspapers uh as you do how long will it take uh the new russian mobilization to finish this war from the russian perspective whatever however they define it they don't want Kyiv, you've told us that but they they do want to bring back into their orbit that which they believe has been taken from them
1: yes Well, remember that historically, Odessa and Kharkov, that the Ukrainians call Kharkiv, are Russian-speaking cities. Those are Russian cities. Those historically are not Ukrainian. Ukraine never had anything to do with them. So I think that the Russians remain committed to the reacquisition of those. They're now holding referendums uh, in key areas under their control in southern Ukraine. These referendums will uh, result no doubt, in the, these areas, joining the Russian state. This means that the, that territory is formally recognized in Moscow and by the Russian people as Russian soil. That changes the complexion of the conflict, as you point out. How soon again? I think that uh, there is no rush. They will mobilize some additional forces, perhaps another thirty thousand, forty thousand. It's hard to tell. Some of those will be reservists and can be quickly placed in operation, some are not. But they're not going to rush these people into action because they've got the winter. And they're betting, and I think not unreasonably, that you're going to see a change of governments in Europe. We've seen this now coming in Italy. Italy is, people don't understand that after Germany, the next big axe swinger economically in Europe is not France, it's Italy. Right. If that government takes takes a step to the right, much as the government already did in Sweden, I think you're going to see something similar happen to Mr. Schultz and his friends. Now, are these people going to come out and say, we no longer support anything that the United States wants to do with Russia? Probably not, but I think we're going to have a much tougher time sustaining this and there'll be pressure on us to to come to the negotiating table. Whether or not we will, that's another matter. Now, one, one other thing that's happened recently, I just received this from Poland, Apparently, the Polish government has announced that in view of Russia's coming referendums that will result in the annexation of the Russian territory in eastern uh, Ukraine, that they have every right to annex western Ukraine, which was part of the Polish-Lithuanian empire anyway. Oh, boy. Well, look, you know, this is what we don't understand. This is eastern Europe. Right. None of this has anything to do with us. We should not be involved period other than to help negotiate an end to the conflict agreed and i have to tell you that
0: the hundreds and hundreds of people commenting agree and they've also said we're happy the colonel had a nice vacation
1: (laughs) but we're glad he's back (laughs) well you know what your viewers can do that that i think most of us are beginning to learn to do in the west is whatever is said about russia Drop the word Russia, substitute Ukraine, and you're closer to the truth. Colonel, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Thank
0: you so much. We'll have you back uh, real soon. Okay, Judge. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.